Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a podcast about film and television in which we talk about a topic which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis. Uh, hi. <laughs> um, this is, there's no proper episode of the show this week because, well, basically I've moved house and in all of the excitement and stress of moving, I completely forgot to book people uh, to record episodes in advance. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so there's no proper episode. There was no, that's why there was no proper episode last week and why there isn't a proper episode this week. However, so I wanted to do a uh, mini-sode about something kind of in the pop culture zeitgeist, and the only thing I want to talk about at the moment is Mystery Science Theatre 3000, which has just returned to Netflix, you know, appropriately enough, given that it is the Easter weekend and a time for resurrections. Netflix have rolled away the stone after 18 years to discover that Mystery Science Theatre 3000 is alive and well. For people who don't know what uh, Mystery Science Theatre 3000 is, uh, which I think is probably a, a reasonably large number of people, because although it's beloved in comedy and geek circles, it's not necessarily the sort of thing that ever got to a huge audience. But basically, Mystery Science Theatre 3000 was a show created by the comedian Joel Hodgson in the late 1980s, 1988 to be specific, which initially aired on the local cable channel KTMA in Minneapolis in uh, Minnesota before being picked up by HBO and airing on the Comedy Channel which then became Comedy Central and uh, you know eventually after airing there for six years I believe ended up moving to the Sci-Fi Channel and then got cancelled in 1999 and uh, in the ensuing 18 years, its reputation has kind of continued to grow, partly through fans uh, circulating the tapes, uh, as is the vernacular of the series. Uh, the fans of the show would record the show on VHS and just kind of trade it around, because it was the sort of show that would get played in syndication, but Nest wasn't necessarily that easy to find in the early days of the internet or in the pre-internet age uh, and also you know with the explosion of youtube the episodes of the show kind of proliferated that way you know i guess sharing the url doesn't quite have the same kind of uh, analog kind of charm to it that uh, keeps circulating the tapes has but uh, essentially the show has uh, kind of grown its audience over even long after it went off the air which is how i discovered it i obviously growing up in england didn't really have many opportunities to watch the show but uh, about five or six years ago i started watching episodes on youtube because it was a show that i'd heard of often spoken of in reverential terms by a lot of writers and and performers who i was really kind of fond of and you know the the concept of the show always intrigued me, which was that basically it was a show in which uh, initially Hodgson and then when he left the show after five seasons, uh, Mike Nelson would joke, would watch a bad movie and provide a running commentary of jokes accompanied by a couple of uh, other comedians voicing puppets and uh, intercut with kind of comedy sketches inspired by the movie in some way. Uh, and it's a wonderfully odd premise particularly when it gets into the sci-fi conceit which is that the human characters are trapped on a satellite by mad scientists conducting an experiment to see what the effect of watching truly terrible movies has on the human brain but the the concept itself is incredibly simple you just watch a silly movie and then make fun of it which is something that anyone who has ever gone to a bad movie night will be familiar with or who has ever purposely watched bad movies with friends you know you sit and you watch it and then you kind of make fun of it but it's the apotheosis of that 
concept. You know, basically, you have a group of people who are incredibly funny, watch something, and then come up with the absolute sharpest jokes they can, and then kind of workshop it until you have the absolute best selection of jokes and riffs imaginable, and then just kind of unleash it all in one go. And that's why uh, Mr. Shant Theatre was such a kind of a, a wonderful show to watch, and why I think it inspired a lot of kind of smart alecky smart weirdos <laughs> to then become comedy writers because it was a show that had this all-encompassing a- approach to comedy where you could get really high-minded literary jokes or just kind of silly jokes about how crappy the effects looked uh, and that kind of uh, and there was always that sense that even though you may only get half of the jokes in a given episode there would be so many jokes that it would still be one of the funniest things you'd ever seen which uh, is kind of uh, an incredible thing for a show to maintain for hundreds and hundreds of episodes as as they produced over their 10 initial seasons and so now the show is back on netflix this time the host is jonah ray who I know primarily from podcasts. He was one of the co-hosts of the Nerdist podcast. He also co-hosted the Comedy Central show The Meltdown with Jonah and Kamel, which was kind of an outgrowing of a stand-up showcase that he and Kamel Nanjiani had been doing in LA for several years. And, you know, he plays the human. The two robots, Tom Servo and Crow, are now voiced by uh, Baron Vaughan and Hampton Yount, who are also comedians from LA. And uh, what I find interesting about the show coming back now is that it comes about you know kind of at the midpoint of an of an ongoing series of revivals of cult shows from the 80s and 90s you know last year we had the x-files come back which i talked about on this show with uh, michaela livingston banks and how kind of crushingly disappointed we were in that even though we probably should have expected to be (laughs) disappointed by it given the way that the x-files had kind of wrapped up its run anyway and uh, also with the the upcoming Twin Peaks revival, which I'm ridiculously excited about and obviously will be ter- ter- terribly disappointed in as well, even though uh, I, I do think that there is a lot more potential for that to be great than there was for the X-Files. But that's neither here nor there. That is a subject for another podcast, which will be in the kind of the near, nearish future, depending on when Twin Peaks finishes airing. Uh, and, you know, that this run is is partly driven by nostalgia, obviously. It's also driven by the fact that I think a lot of people who now produce TV or who commission TV shows are of the generation of people who would have watched these shows growing up and they see that there's a chance to bring them back and audiences in general are rediscovering or discovering for the first time, in the case of younger viewers, these shows through streaming services. Like, uh, The X-Files has been pretty much in constant rotation on Netflix and Hulu for the last couple of years. Some selection of... Uh, MST3K episodes have been on Netflix and Hulu over the last couple of years and as I said kind of through YouTube you can find most of the run of the show if you're willing to just kind of dig around uh, and it's worthwhile even though some of those transfers are, are pretty ropey and so commercially it makes sense that the show would come back now even though Joel Hodgson has been trying to bring the show back in one form or another for for like half a decade at this point you know he's tried to do reunions with all the various casts of the original show the different uh, writers and performers who played different roles on it over the years and who have since continued to do the movie riffing thing in a live format with things like cinematic titanic and riff tracks which is kind of the, the most successful outcropping of uh, mystery science theater so far and that i think probably could have been fun as a one-off sort of thing maybe or you know i think certainly would have hit the nostalgia centers to have that whole crew kind of come together for some sort of one-off special or, or a series of episodes and 
I'm sure like for hardcore fans it would have been really really wonderful but what I like about this revival and why I think this works more than the X-Files did is that Mystery Science Theater 3000 was kind of a sturdy concept rather than something that was built around a particular story or a particular cast and I think that's evidenced in its original run by the fact that like i said joel hodgson left you know he he quit the show halfway through the run was replaced by mike nelson and even though there are furious arguments on the internet about which one of them is better and whether or not there was a discernible change in the humor of the show after hodgson left i think there's enough of a continuation that you can clearly see that the structure of the show was what lent it its power less than any one personality and the fact that the whole the show was a kind of a thesis ship where different cast members were swapped in and out repeatedly over the run and and each of the the robot characters were all played by at least two sometimes three actors yeah, during that time and they were still they still felt like the same characters they still had a lot of very funny jokes i think it demonstrated that what was great about the show was a feeling, a, a sensibility, an aesthetic in some ways, this kind of deliberately cheap and cheesy sci-fi look, which in the early days was just the fact they had no money, so that was the only way they could they could do it. And even when they got more money, they kind of kept it looking that way because it is kind of, that creakiness is, is part of the show's charm. And I think that that's why this revival on Netflix works incredibly well. You know, even though you have a new human face, even though the robots are voiced by distant actors, even though most of the writing staff are new, uh, and obviously it's worth noting that the writers are people like Elliot Kalin, who who, who is probably best known, well, certainly most successful for being the head writer on The Daily Show for the last couple of years of Jon Stewart's run, but who also has for the last decade been one of the co-hosts of the Flophouse podcast, which is also a show about making fun of bad movies. You can see that these writers are people who have grown up watching MST3K and being influenced by it and shaped by it, and who know the rhythms and the tone of the show intimately and are able to recreate it. And, you know, the, the fact that the, you can completely change almost everything and have an entirely new set of people come into this thing demonstrates that what's great about Mystery Science Theatre 3000 as a revival as opposed to the X-Files is you don't need to appease fans by resolving ongoing plot points or even by having old faces show up. It's nice when old characters do reappear and old actors show up to kind of do a fun little cameo, but really what matters is that you have this kind of group of funny people sit down, watch a bad movie, and then come up with as many funny jokes as possible. And that is what the revival does. It's a very simple thing. It's a very familiar thing. Certainly, if you know the show, it, it feels like the show. It doesn't have that... Yeah, to go back to the X-Files, it doesn't have that sense of everything being slightly off of a show being out of time or uh, of trying to recreate past glories because... Mystery Science Theatre 3000 was never really of its era. It was this kind of just weird, nerdy obsession, um, both for the people who made it and for the fans. Uh, so it coming back now, in fact, almost feels like it's more of its time because the rise of podcasts and things like that, like this, you know, the idea of people just kind of talking and making fun of pop culture um, kind of grows out of that. And the, the thing about MST3K was it was always pretty much the best at making fun of things and 
uh, you can quibble over the pacing of it, which I think has been the main problem that people have is that sometimes the show has too many jokes, which is, you know, definitely a problem that's worth having as a if you're talking about a comedy show but you know they at some points will just kind of fire joke after joke after joke after joke and it becomes a little wearying which i can totally see even though it doesn't matter that much to me because you you know you'll be laughing and if you miss one joke chances are you'll pick it up the second time that you watch the episode but even if you do have those kind of minor what i would consider fairly minor quibbles about it there is i think it'd be hard not to be won over by the show you know as a fan it would be very hard not it would be very hard not to be won over by the sheer joy on display and in some regards it, the, the the closest comparison may actually not be the x-files or, or a tv show it might be the force awakens because one of the things about the force awakens that i really responded to was the the sense that everyone involved all the actors all of the people behind the scenes just seemed to be really fucking jazzed to be making a star wars movie and i think the fact that this series that you know they have some high profile names show up for little cameos here and there they have harmar superstar come on to perform the, the title theme song which explains the premise uh, and is absolutely delightful and i think his his rendition of it alongside uh, felicia day who plays the villain of the show the mad scientist who's tormenting jonah and the robots uh, i think the fact that you see these people who clearly grew up adoring the show or being aware of it and being influenced by it getting the chance to be involved in this new version of it and pretty much nailing it uh, i think speaks to uh, you know that that's kind of why it reminded me of the force awakens because that had the same feel to it not only did, were they making a movie that felt like a star wars movie they seemed to really be enjoying the fact they were making a star wars movie and that sense of uh, elan and zest i think is one of the things that uh, is very endearing about this new version of mst3k as is the fact that it is incredibly funny you know joe hodson and and mike nelson and all those guys laid out a very simple to follow blueprint which is find a cheesy bad movie and just come up with the best possible jokes that you can about it and uh, this new crew of people they've assembled to do this version uh, have kind of yeah they've done that you know, you can't ask for anything more. And so I think that anyone who is a fan of MST3K or, or was aware of the older version of the show should check it out because it is really, really great. And it is really great in at recreating that feel of what the show was like without it feeling too kind of navel-gazy and just driven by nostalgia. It does feel like this is a continua continuation of the show that makes sense and kind of like suggests that this is a format that just could keep going on and on and on like a game show or something like you could just keep reviving it every three years and as long as you get the right people it'll still be pretty good but for people who are unfamiliar with the show and are seeing you know hashtag mst3k all over twitter or are seeing articles about it and are like what the hell is this i think it's a pretty good place to jump on although I would not necessarily recommend jumping on with the first episode, which expends a lot of its energy kind of re-establishing the premise in a way which may be weirdly maybe alienating to new viewers that the intro to the show just you think, what is going on? Why are these actors doing these kind of slightly stiff line deliveries? What's going on with this moon? You know, it may actually just be better to skip that episode and just jump in further along when they've kind of got into the groove and of the of the new episodes that i've seen 
I think the best one for that would be Avalanche, the fourth episode where they watch a really cheesy disaster movie from the from the 1970s with sort of name actors, well, genuine name actors who uh, are not as famous now as they were back in the 70s, but it's just a kind of ridiculous movie that makes perfect fodder for for the, the sort of thing that the show does. Uh, and I think that is, uh, you know, that if you're going to jump in to watch the show for the first time, that is, is probably the best gateway episode. Uh, okay, so I think that's going to be it. And, you know, this is going to be a genuine minisode, not like the Oscars minisode I did, which was just a full episode. Um, uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope that you and you've, uh, you decide to seek out the new MST3K, which I do think is really great. And I do promise that this isn't going to just be a podcast about things that are on Netflix. Even though the last two episodes have been precisely that, you know, next week, I'm not going to be talking about Sandy Wexler. Uh, I promise I will find something actual and, and real to talk about. Uh, well, this was real as well. Anyway, uh, I hope you have, all have a good week uh, and it's goodbye from me. 